Can you take us to one of your most challenging experiences personally? When my wife almost left me, I was 31 years old. I was frustrated, angry, stressed, just lost my job. So I don't know how I'm gonna pay the bills, how I support my family. And I was crumbling from the inside out. I was full of fear. I was anxious all the time. And I'm blaming my wife for why our life is uh, not what I want it to be. She said, I love you, but I'm not gonna spend my life with someone who is like this and so miserable and negative all the time. That was me. And I knew that I needed to change because I didn't like myself. I didn't like what I had become. You have to be willing to look at yourself. You have to be willing to change. So many men are just not willing to change when their wives say something. I was willing, I look back, the reason why I became who I became was my wife, she gave me that ultimatum. But I also was able to say, you know what? Look in the mirror. Is this who you wanna be? Is this who you are? Like, what do you wanna become? Man, Eric and I are so grateful to have this guest with us today. John Gordon, accomplished speaker, author. He's a leader behind collegiate football teams. He's spoken to dozens of companies. Uh, and even before the show, we were getting into his new book called One Truth. And I just, I was teeming with questions. So John, welcome today. And before we dive in, Eric and I always like to start really in the lows. Uh, one purpose of Man on a Mission is to really explore some of the darkest moments of our lives, most the, the most difficult challenges that we've experienced, how we came out of that and came back into the light, so to speak. Yeah, the John nobody knows, the one that is not here sitting with us today, because we recognize that greatness always comes from like the depths of hell. The greatest people oftentimes couldn't recognize themselves at one point in their life. And I would... I would add a, I had a mentor once say, you know, you can only go as high as you've once been low. So John, before we get to your new book, <clears throat> obviously other aspects of your life, can you take us to one of your most challenging experiences personally? And then what became of that? I would say the most challenging experience was when my wife almost left me. I was 31 years old, had mm. two little kids. I was frustrated, angry, stressed, just lost my job during the dot-com crash. So I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills, how I support my family. And I was crumbling from the inside out. I was full of fear. I was anxious all the time. And I'm blaming my wife for why our life is uh, not what I want it to be, why my life is not what it's supposed to be. I'm not living up to my expectations. And so all this fear, anxiety, stress, and worry was literally wreaking havoc on my soul. And she threatened to leave me. She said, if mm. you don't change, she said, we're over. She said, I love you, but I'm not going to spend my life with someone who is like this and so miserable and negative all the time. Wow. And so I had to change. It was a huge wake up call for me. And I knew that I needed to change because I didn't like myself. I didn't like what I had become. I was a college athlete. I played lacrosse at Cornell University. I was recruited to all these different colleges to play football. I had this great hope in terms of what I was going to create with my life. I moved to Atlanta um, in my 20s. I opened up a bar in Buckhead at 24 years old, made it a, a hot spot, was able to get some investors because I was bartending at the place next door. I didn't come mm -hmm. from money, but I'm bartending and I literally am talking to the owner 
next door, hey, would you ever sell this place? He goes, everything's for sale. Because it was a nice restaurant and I turned it into a bar. And then again, found some investors. They supported it and we made it happen. We made it a very successful place. I started a nonprofit in Atlanta called the Phoenix Organization, raising money and volunteering for youth-focused charities. We're doing that. I'm interacting with all these people. I'm a mover and shaker in Atlanta. There's magazines and I'm on the you know cover of one magazine as, a, as one of the up-and-comers in Atlanta, the, the 20-somethings that are transforming the city. That was me. And mm-hmm. then I go door-to-door to 7,000 houses to run for city council, hustling and grinding to try to be a, a city councilman. And then I get this opportunity to go work for this dot-com to make my fortune, my 100,000 shares. I put some investors together. I was part of that process. And then they said, hey, you want to join? I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. So now I'm not involved in the bar as much, although I still own it. Partners are stealing from me, but now I'm Mm. working for this .com. I'm going to make my fortune. And then everything crashes. And what I realized was I was trying to be successful. I was going for it, but I was defining my life and who I was based on the results, on the success, on the outcome. And all the while I'm miserable. Like I was actually happy initially when I was doing the Phoenix having my bar, all that, that was fun. Like I was doing something I loved, making a difference in the community, but now it's all about the money, all about the success. And I'm striving. And that was my whole life, trying to define myself by my performance and by my outcome as an athlete, because that's how I got recognition. Right. That's how I got praise. That's how I got rewards. And now everything crumbles. Like now my identity is crumbling because my outward appearance and my success is crumbling. I'm no longer this young mover and shaker. I'm a guy who's part of a dot-com that's losing his job and is about to get fired. Mm. And so everything came crumbling down. And you have to lose yourself sometimes to find out who you truly are. Right. Mm. And I really had to lose who I was or thought I wanted to be to find out who I truly am. And so that was the defining moment in my life because when my wife threatened to leave me, I said, okay, God, why am I here what am I born to do? What is my purpose? And why am I so miserable? Mm-hmm. And I realized very quickly that I was miserable because I wasn't living a purpose. I wasn't living my purpose. I realized I was miserable because I was focused on myself and my own success. And I remember thinking, I want to, I want to make a difference in the lives of others. I want to, I want to serve others. I'm miserable this way. I want to make an impact. That's when I was happiest when I was doing the Phoenix. Let me get back to finding something I can do where I actually impact people's lives because I was happy Mm. when I was doing that. And so that sparked the idea of, okay, do something that serves others. And then it came to me, writing and speaking. That's why you're here. Like I heard it loud and clear, not an audible voice, but like a download. That's why you're here. I said, okay, I'm going to write and speak. I knew in that moment I was actually going to do this before I've written 28 books where they've sold millions of copies, 15 bestsellers before working with Clemson and the LA Dodgers and the Rams and Sean McVay and all these different organizations and the Miami Mm -hmm. heat and the Colorado Rockies working with all these different organizations and teams and Snapchat and in and out burger and their leadership and helping them grow and become who they are. But before doing all that, I was literally this guy who was literally saying, okay, I am going to write and speak somehow some way all the way back in 2001. Yeah. Well, I just want to say what a powerful testimony. Everyone that knows of John Gordon, which is a lot of people, a guy that's wrote 28 books is obviously well known, 14 bestsellers. It's interesting though, as I'm listening to your story and I'm connecting the dots here and I'm like thinking like about how the pain becomes the testimony. You hear it so often. Well, and then Mm -hmm. you hear someone like 
John loses identity after sports disappears out of his life, which happened to me happens to countless athletes. They sort of lose their, their, their clarity of what their soul even is. And I remember for me, I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror at one point after sports ended for me. It was just that traumatic of an experience. But one thing I keep hearing in people and these interviews we keep doing, there's one common theme that keeps coming up. And that is this concept of giving. The more you give, the universe starts to reward you. And that's not why these people do it. They don't do it thinking there's some kind of wink, wink, I'm going to get something for it. They just do it for the sake of doing it. And it's what fulfills their soul. And it's yeah. funny, like, here it is. This is where momentum starts coming yeah. in your life. I'm not, you know I, what I mean? just want to add, just out of enthusiasm, <laughs> I'm not surprised to hear this. I didn't know this backstory on you, yeah. um, but often people who are a bright light, they've got a real encounter behind them. Was it, and I also, I'm curious about like, when you discern that, did it take courage to walk that out? Like, was it, or did you, how, how was that process getting going? Are you kidding me? It took a lot of courage. It took a lot of faith. It took a lot yeah. of moments of, of overcoming the fear and the doubt and the feelings of unworthiness. Like who am I to be doing this work? Yeah, who am I to right. be saying this? But you know what always helped me? I was like, who was Tony Robbins before Tony Robbins said yeah. he's Tony Robbins? Yeah, yeah. I, like I thought about that all the time. Like he said, all right, I'm Tony Robbins and I'm going to go share this. I said, well, guess what? I'm John Gordon. I'm going to share this. <laughs> That's awesome. How honest That's did you so have to get awesome. with yourself? I figured like when you're in that moment and you're looking at your wife, to, to you talked about like mur essentially murdering the old John Gordon so that you can reborn, re be reborn the new one. That moment of real transparent honesty where you have to really own the monster that you become or the nightmare of husband that you are, the the rude asshole that you are, whatever the thing is that you were coming to grips with with the honesty factor, I think is crucial. I think people are living such a racket. There's so many people live it a lie. And this is a crucial piece of success is, I think, getting clarity on, on the racket that you've actually been running. Such a great point, Eric. Such a great observation. You have to be willing to look at yourself. You have to be willing to change. So many men are just not willing to change when their wives say something. I was willing. I look back. The reason why I became who I became was my wife. She gave me that ultimatum. But I also was able to say, you know what? Look in the mirror. Is this who you want to be? Is this who you are? Like, what do you want to become? I had to be willing to change. And yes, it was very hard. I remember saying, okay, somehow, some way, I'm going to do this. But I, I couldn't write and speak right away. I had to at least make money because I just lost my job. And yeah. we only have so much savings in the account. We're going to be bankrupt pretty quick. I had a mortgage, but I didn't have a ton of money. And so having been in the restaurant business and I had sold my part back to my partners for about a fourth of what I should have gotten. And that's another lesson. They should have given me more. I could have fought. I took what they gave me. And I walked away. Honestly, the number... Should have got $400,000. I got $100,000. This is all the way back in 2001. $100,000. We had three restaurants at the time. They were doing well. But I didn't want to sue. I didn't want to deal with all that. I took the 100 and I walked. I take that 100 I take $20,000 in credit cards. I second mortgage my home, two twenty, and I open up a Moe's Southwest Grill Burrito franchise. Mm. The first Moe's in Florida. It's called Welcome to Moe's. Very big on the East Coast. There's now yeah. hundreds of them. I was the first one in Florida. The fifth store opened. We found this place by, by the grace of God. We were going to actually get out of it and not do it. The last yeah. minute, a friend called us up and said, hey, you want to go to the movies? We go to the movie theater. 
the only place to park at this movie theater was right in front of the spot where we were going to do the Moe's. You walk out of the car. I get goosebumps. My wife does. She goes, I think we're supposed to do the Moe's. I go, I think so too. I'm getting this feeling. She goes, I am too. It was a spiritual divine moment. I'll never forget it. I call up the landlord who was being a jerk. All of a sudden he was nice. I'll give you this. I'll give you this. It all worked out. Open the Moe's with that money, but didn't make money right away. Literally, we're hanging by a thread. We have no money in the account. We yeah. violated all business plans. <laughs> and, and that was where my faith was born. I call it my Jerry Maguire moment. Help me, God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> help me help you. And also show me the money. <laughs> I was I was flying movie theaters, you know, parking cars in, in that area. I was I was flying, catering opportunities and businesses. My wife and I were going door to door. We were doing whatever it took to try to make that place successful. We were barely hanging by a thread. It's a long story. A bunch of things happened that actually showed one miraculous sign after another where we were being carried. And I got this consulting opportunity to teach this company how to sell wireless technology because I was in the dot-com of wireless software that took data from devices, actually from server mainframes, and brought it to devices. I sold the NFL on their first NFL wireless. So we were the first people to help the NFL go wireless on device. First time scores were ever on a wireless device was from us and the technology I sold. I went up to New York, knew someone at the NFL, sold them on it. They did it, but it was a pilot program, no money, which is why we eventually went under and I lost my job. But now I'm teaching this company how to sell wireless technology because they were a development company. Mm. They paid me like $13,000 for six weeks of consulting. As that last dime ran out of our account, we made our first profit. And now I'm saying, okay, I think I'm going to write and speak. Not too long after that, I'm wiping tables down in my Mo's. I'm wearing a t-shirt and shorts. I don't even look like an owner. I'm 30, 31 years old. And the managing partner of New York Life is, is sitting there. Her name is Robin Wabi. We start talking. And I said, you know, I'm also a motivational speaker, you know? <laughs> she said, oh, really? <laughs> I didn't give him one talk, but I said, you know, I'm a motivational speaker. She goes, well, come speak to my company. I can't pay you, but come do it. I go, I'll do it. I yeah. try to cancel it because I got so <laughs> and terrified. Awesome. <laughs> he goes, no, you're not canceling. You're not. And mm-hmm. so I agreed um, to do it after she said, you're not. I had to do it. I talked about success being the little things, my first talk ever. And mm-hmm. I talked about energy vampires, a term mm-hmm. that I that I made popular. I thought I coined it, but I made it popular, popularized it. Wrote yeah. about it in the energy bus. Don't allow yep. energy vampires to sabotage yep. your energy, your purpose, your mission. Did mm. that. I walked out of there. I go, I think I can do this. And yeah. that began my journey. Thousands yeah. of talks later, I now get $75,000 a keynote. And yes. I say that not to brag, because trust me, I, I still am so thankful everything I get to do. I make more money in one talk than my dad made in two years as yeah. a New York City police officer. So I don't say that at all. I say yeah. it just shows you how far yeah. you can go when you step in and step out in faith. Now, I got to tell you this. I had these these, these eventually bunch of Mo's that I opened up after that. The first one, I finally made it successful, became yeah. the number one store in the system, was a was a model for all the other people starting out. I was really good at marketing. I hustled, marketed the entire city. Everyone came to know Mo's, came to love Mo's, made it successful, eventually sold my Mo's for a million dollars. So I turned that 100,000 into the million dollars. I said, okay, now I'm going to write and speak. But I told my wife, I want to sell the most for the first time. She's now comfortable after about a year because we were finally making some good residual every month. Now 
about 250,000, you know, a year now to live off of. And she thought, okay, we hit the jackpot. We've got this money now. And um, I said, no, honey, I, I've got to, I said, I've got to pursue this full time. I want, I want to sell the Moe's. She goes, what happens if it doesn't work? I said, there are no other options. I have yeah. to do it. There is no plan B. She said, okay, if you believe it, let's go for it. She was so supportive, sold the Moe's. Success did not happen right away. And there were many moments that I wasn't sure if the speaking was actually going to be successful and work out. And there was a lot of moments of fear. And I remember getting on the Today Show and I was told my career was going to take off after that. I did a four-week series on the Today Show back in 2005, 2006. When you were on the Today Show, that's it. Yeah. It made you. Now it's yeah. not a big, as big a deal as much. I would, Four-week series. It went really well. I coached these people on, on enhancing their energy and their optimism for their work. And remember, like I got out, like everyone called me, people reaching out, man, you are going to take off. You're the next Deepak Chopra. You're the next Wayne Dyer. Like, that's it. And nothing mm -hmm. happened after that. Everything mm -hmm. stalled. I'm like, what is going on? And it was during that time where I was in the wilderness going, I thought my career was going to take off. I'd done all this work, but worked on myself. It doesn't take off. And I realized it was because I, I was sharing a message. I really wasn't meant to and called to share ultimately. Mm -hmm. And it was during that time where my faith was really born, truly born. And mm -hmm. I cried out to God. I surrendered to God for the first time in a, in a real way. And the energy bus came to me on a walk. Wow. And I wrote that book in three and a half weeks. And that book would then put me on the map and set the course for the rest yeah. of my life, even to this day. It was on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list literally a couple of weeks ago. And I wrote it in 2006 and it came out yeah. in 2007. That book yeah. changed my life. But it happened during the wilderness of thinking my career was going to take off. It didn't. And then regrouping going, okay, who am I really? What message am I really here to share? I got very clear on it. And out of that, I would now do what I'm doing for the rest of my life. That is an incredible story. A couple of things here. There's so much to unpack there. There's so many lessons. Like what you just said is a book. Like you could expand in so many different categories and we only have so much time, but maybe you can point a couple of things out. But I want to get two things out that I really pulled for me, two or three. You talked about divine moments. And I, I just mm -hmm. the, that just stuck with me for a minute because so often as I look back in my own career and I look at other people's that have done well in life, that have large foundations and large footprints, I look at their careers people talk about these divine moments and they're never like the peak of the summit where you get the gold. It's always in these, these places where it's like, you just burn the bridge. You're, it, like you're willing to die for something. Or it's these, it's these moments where like, Oh my God, like that was the thing, the secret. And it was really something could, it could be very subtle, like almost unassuming, but it, for you, it's the most powerful moment in your life. These divine moments, they happen and they're so magical. And it's like, this is really where, the conversation should always go when you're thinking about like pivotal moments in someone's life. So I just want to give credence to that first of all, but stepping into light is the last thing that I just wanted to like spread onto you, your courage to step in the light. I think it's the thing that people fear most. It's the thing that holds most people back. They're so scared of what other people are going to think. And they think that their testimony is not worth talking about. So it holds them back and they really never become seen in life so much judgment. So just wanted to sort of lay that all on the table there. And there's, there's so much more, but just, just as stars shine the brightest in the darkness, 
Yeah. Positive, optimistic people shine the most through adversity. And so you got to go through the darkness to eventually shine the light, right? You got to experience it. You can't see the light without the darkness. So yeah. I wouldn't know this light without the darkness that I went through and the right. pain and the adversity and the fear and the doubt. And so many times of wondering like, is this going to work? Should I keep going or should yeah. I give up? And there were many moments I wanted to give up, but here's why I didn't. This is what's important for people. My vision and mission and purpose was greater than all the fear, negativity, and doubt. So if you have this vision and purpose, we don't get burned out because of what we do. We get burned out because we forget why we do it. So when you know your why, you'll know the way. And you're not going to let obstacles get in the way. So I was very clear in my why. I truly wanted to make a difference. And when I wrote The Energy Bus, and it's rejected by over 30 publishers, and being told to give up, and my agent says give up, I didn't. Because I had this vision and mission. It was this, to encourage and inspire as many people as possible, one person at a time. Yeah. And that's what keeps me going to this day, one person at a time. And do I yeah. inspire a lot of people now? Yes, a lot. But I'm also focused on the one person that needs it. Yeah. One person I, I talked last night came up to me and I had to go somewhere. But I'm like, you know what, John? You say one person at a time. Make time for that one person. Yeah, I love that. You go where you got to go. And to this day, I still live it. I still you breathe do. it. And- you know, you can't forget where you came from. You can't forget why you do what you do. Oh, and I got to say this. I was on my hands and knees several times during the almost bankruptcy days. And I remember saying, God, provide for me and I'll do your work. Yeah. Provide for I've, me and I'll do your work. I still say it all the time. I yeah. love, I, and this might be a segue to your upcoming book. I have an intuition about. Um, so hearing your testimony, I, I'd love to ask you about like, as I listen to you, I'm like, why would I bemoan the lows? Because like you in life, when I've really deeply surrendered, trust that God, there's these incredible synchronistic moments where a deep peace comes to me. And, but then retrospectively, I always ask myself, why did I worry about things? Like we, we love the highs. We bemoan the lows, your new book, one truth, um, one thing I caught a fragment of you talking about, and it, it caught my, caught my ear. And it had to do with something you said briefly about being at peace uh, throughout your throughout your walk, so to speak. And I'm at, at 48 years old, like I'm more drawn to that than the summit, you know, like I'm more drawn to like abiding in that peace and pursuing that summit and not bemoaning the lows. So anyway, that's the sort of a kickoff question. I'd love to hear you take that and maybe talk about your new book. Yeah, I believe that we're not meant to go through life with fear, worry, anxiety, and chronic stress like so many people are. There's so many people that are really fearful and so many dealing with their mental health right now that it's actually become normalized. We actually say, oh, it's normal, but it's not normal. It's okay to feel that way. And I've been depressed, I've been anxious, and I have no judgment on anyone who's going through that because I went through it yeah. and I'm here to help people going through it. But I know that it's not normal to feel that way. It's almost like, health as well. Like there's so many people dealing with chronic illnesses that we've actually normalized that when really you're meant to be healthy and whole, like right. wholeness and health is actually supposed to be our natural state, not sickness yeah. and disease. And so we're accepting what we're going through and thinking it's normal. It's not, we're meant to go through life with power, with mm -hmm. joy, with peace, with love, with clarity, with confidence, with courage. That's how we're meant to go through life. Mm -hmm. And so many things in life, the circumstances, the pain we've experienced in the past, 
the challenges, the negative thoughts we have, the negativity of others, it so often sabotages us on our journey. And what it does is it separates us. The root for the Greek word of anxious means to separate and divide. Yeah. And so when you feel anxious, you feel separate. You feel divided. Negative thoughts separate us, weaken us, and make us feel powerless. What does fear do? Divides. So right. the one truth is all about the fact that everything in life will try to separate you and divide you and weaken you. Relationships. We're always struggling with our relationships with a division and disconnection. Teams that are disconnected and divided become weak teams. Relationships that are disconnected become very weak and powerless. Relationships that are connected and united are strong. Teams that are connected and united are strong. So I don't think you're always going to feel peace. Let me say this. I think there's an ebb and flow to thought. And I think in the moments when you're not feeling peace, it's to let you know that I'm feeling separate. And that brings me to a lower state of mind. And in my low state of mind, I often want to jump off the roller coaster. If there's an ebb and flow and we have high states, the height of the roller coaster, low states, the low point of the roller coaster. As we're going down the roller coaster towards a low state, when we feel that way, we feel separate, we often want to jump off and escape. How do we do that? We drink, we do drugs, people play video games, porn, all sorts of things that keep people from what they're meant to do and distract them, yeah. but cause an escape from the reality of what they're truly feeling. So they mask the pain instead of dealing with it and moving through it. And we're meant to move through it. So when you're in that low point, in that low point, don't jump off. Stay on the roller coaster, and you'll yeah. ride it to a successful future and a higher state of mind. That's the key. And so you're not always going to feel peace, but in those moments you don't feel it. It's okay. Nothing's wrong, and nothing's broken. Just stay on the roller coaster, and try to find more power that you're meant to live with. And that power and oneness will give you more peace in whatever you're accomplishing. Does that make sense? For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I got to say, I love the title of this new book that's coming out, The One Truth. We've talked a lot about truth on the show and really grappled with just the concept of truth. It, it almost feels like society is trying to shift reality in a way that's really, it's hard to stomach for, you know, for a lot of people. And it's becoming a polarizing issue, just truth in and of itself. And so here comes John Gordon's book, The One Truth, someone that really speaks to so many different people across the board that, you know, you really have a powerful message that is meant to unite. But at the end of the day, truth is truth. And I'm curious, it almost feels like there's an evil force that's trying to, to shift truth to uh, who knows what the reasons are behind it. That's where, where the question really comes into play here. So I think your work is really important, but I got to ask you, like, do you think it's worse than it's ever been? Because I think throughout history, as you look back and I love being a student to history, I'm always learning. I'm, I'm always wrong also. So I always have a disclaimer and any of my instincts and my thoughts, I could be wrong. And if I am, I'll own it. But I have this feeling that truth is under attack. And so it is, you really got to be bold and stand up to it. And in this modern day, you could be assaulted quickly. You could be attacked viciously if you have an opinion of what truth actually looks and feels like. So where should you find the courage and stand up? And is this worse than it's ever been? And is this a force that is only going to get worse? And how do we deal with that? The one truth says that there's always a force that's trying to separate and divide you and weaken you. And it is a force of evil. You have to look at it as evil. And there's a power that is much greater than us, that is always trying to unite us and create oneness and bring us back to our creator and oneness. You're meant to be connected to your creator. Right. And there's a force that's always trying to separate you from that. And so if you see how this plays out through the lens of the one truth and oneness and separateness, 
everything makes sense. When I'm connected to my creator, I feel peace, joy, love, power, clarity, confidence, courage. When I'm disconnected, I don't feel so good. I have right. people come to me all the time. John, I'm struggling with all these negative thoughts, a lot of anxiety, fear. I say, I bet you feel really far away from God right now in your life. Oh, I do. I do. How'd you know that? Because if you were connected to God, you wouldn't feel that way. Yeah. You would feel great. So I believe more than ever, we have to share the truth because there is a pervasive evil that is really, really dividing and separating like no other. And with social media, <laughs> it is spreading and it's affecting people. And all we have to do is look at COVID. And again, like you, Eric, I could be wrong. I could be yeah. wrong on everything I say. Yeah. Even in the book, I say, I believe the brain is an antenna. And it's a theory I have. It's a belief that I have. I think I'm pretty sure I'm right. Yeah. But I, but I, but I could be wrong in that. But even during COVID, if you look at COVID, it was the great separator. No, it yeah. was the great divider. When we move from oneness to separateness, we move from positive to negative. All mm -hmm. mental health disorders report feelings of aloneness, isolation, disconnection, and a feeling of separateness. So if you were evil and you wanted to weaken people, make them feel powerless, what would you do? Make them feel separate and divided and get them away from oneness and connection towards separation. Yeah. And that's what COVID did. And that's what the pandemic did during that time. It was a feeling of separation. That's why so many people have struggled with their mental health. And to this day, people are still trying to recover because they allowed themselves to be separated. And I don't blame them. They were deceived. They believe the lie. That's why it's so important that we continue to share the truth. Yeah. And it is under attack. And here's the thing. Hmm. When you hate the truth, the truth sounds like hate. Yeah, exactly. Well when said. you love the truth, the truth sounds like love. So if you hate the truth and you don't want the truth, whenever you hear it, it's going to sound like hate. So when I say something, oh, you just don't love people. You don't care about people. It's going to sound like hate. No, no, I love people. I care about people. I don't want people to suffer. I don't want them to go through life feeling this way. Whatever it may be, the minute you start saying truth, you get attacked. Yeah. Because those who hate the truth will hate the truth and hate those who are speaking it, and they'll attack you. Evil doesn't like the light. Yeah. Right? Energy vampires don't like the light. They want to sit in that darkness. The more you expose them, you're going to get attacked. And I have to I have to say we have to be bold. Yeah. We have to be courageous. And I believe everything I've gone through in my life has prepared me for this moment. Yes be able to share this truth and be a voice and you even asking me to be on out of the blue to do this yes i'm going to do that because it allows me to speak truth share with more people when i was on our friend ed my podcast and shared the one truth all the way back in january 8th before the book even came out i just finished writing it and yeah. i did the interview man the truth came through so powerfully yeah. we got millions of people that reached out who heard that and said it resonated with them and i'm like okay yeah. when you speak the truth it will resonate, but you got to speak it. Too many people are fearful yep. and they're scared to speak the truth because fear divides, fear weakens. But what do I do? I focus on love. Yep. Guess what? You can't stop me if my love is greater than my fear because love casts out fear. Yeah. So the minute you focus on love, you're more powerful than fear. And what does love do? Love does create connection. Connection then creates clarity. Clarity creates confidence and confidence creates courage. So the more I'm loving something, and I share this with athletes all the time, warriors, right? All the time. Love the battle. Love the competition. Yes. Love the moment. Love competing in that moment instead of worrying about the outcome. If love you're the fight. Of the outcome, you're not going to perform very well. If you're yes. loving the battle, you're going to perform a whole lot better. Yes. What 
I have a question on that in terms of um, how do you best discern when to call a spade a spade or I guess like in today's political climate, like I love the uh, distinction. Look, if you're standing for truth, there's no need to vilify its opposite per se. Like you're, you're just standing for truth yet in today's climate. Sometimes I admire as a, as a viewer, when someone has the courage to call out something, not to vilify it or do a make wrong, but to stand for in as an example, the innocence of children being or, savaged or, you know, what's going on in our media. And some people, I feel like they're scared to do that. And, and I get the reasons why, cause there's, there's money involved. There's a career, there's all these considerations, but how do you navigate that aspect of truth? Like the really controversial, tough things that sometimes you're called to say as a leader, some leaders don't. And I will tell you, we had a guest on recently who was referencing a huge influencer. And he's like, you know what? I stopped following him. One reason I stopped following him is he just didn't take a stand anywhere. He played it safe. Like as you discern that, because you have incredible influence, John, how do you navigate that? Like the wisdom of when to take a stand? Does that make sense? Yes. What are you willing to fight for? Hmm. What are you willing to take a stand on? Life or death, what are you willing to take a stand on and fight for? And it's got to be something that you know you're going to you're gonna die on that hill and you're willing to die on that hill because it's yeah. based on your principles yeah. and your values. If you live by principles and values, you can take a stand for those principles and values. But I'm not meant to get into every single fight. Yeah. So I've got to pick and choose the fights that I know I'm supposed to fight because yeah. other people are meant to fight some fights and I should only fight the fights that I'm meant to fight. And for me, that's prayer. That's discernment. That's a feeling yeah. of our intuition of what I'm supposed to get involved with. Like yeah. abortion, for instance, like I don't like to talk about that publicly. It's not something I like to, to go in on, but like, even right now, as you said it, what just came to me was John, you got to share this So share it. And the truth is that, you can both believe abortion is morally wrong and shouldn't happen and still believe, for instance, that we don't want the government involved in someone's personal life and in their bodies. So yep. for me, I struggle with, because I don't want the government involved in my body or a woman's body. I don't. At the same time, I know that it is truly morally wrong to, to take the life of a baby. And yeah. I know that in my in my deepest soul, in my deepest heart, you know, yeah. and I know that most people do feel that way because I've seen the people and I have people, you know, that I've, I've known throughout my life that has had that happen and they had so much shame, so much guilt, yeah. so much repentance to protect their name. I don't want to say who they are, sure, but, but, I, but I saw what they went through and you never feel good afterwards, but then right. you have these forces of evil that are actually trying to celebrate it. And actually make it seem like it's a good thing. It's Terrible. not a good thing. You could say that we believe in the woman's right to choose or protect her body and still say morally is a, that, that abortion is a really bad decision and morally wrong, you know, in many cases. Yeah. Like you could, yeah. so to me, like we're, we're going after the opposite extremes yes. that are rationally thinking about that. And then to actually celebrate it and say, oh, you know, abortion. I saw the other day someone posted abortion is a great thing. Hallelujah. Why would you celebrate yeah. The yeah. killing of of a of an unborn baby, yeah. and, and like I just said, the killing of an unborn baby. You have to call it what it is, yep. whatever where, yeah. whatever you think. Again, I don't want the government involved, but you have to call right. it what it is. Yeah, and it seems, so it's that. But again, for me, 
I don't want that to get in the way though of my defining mission and purpose, which is to share the truth and help people yeah. get closer to God. Yeah. I don't want to turn people away who one day might, you know, follow Jesus because of what I shared to them. And I didn't become a follower of Jesus until I was 35, 36 years old, mm. but it changed the course of my life. For sure. But like you, Eric, I'm going to speak truth. You said the universe, guess what? You said the universe. Whenever I hear that, I get a little sensitive because the universe is not for you and can't be for you. It's the universe. It's a medium. The universe was created by God. The creator of the universe is for you. Mm. The, the creator of the universe is is here to support you. There's a creator yeah. of the universe. Universe is just a medium. It's like water. It can't be for you. There's no intelligence to the universe, yeah. right? But we don't want to say God because we want to be politically correct these days. You said sure. God, you said God, but we often use examples of, you know, well, the universe brought you this. Universe doesn't bring you anything. God brings it through you through the medium yeah. of the universe. Yeah. So when I hear that, like there's certain things I know that I've got to share that because I want people to get closer to the creator of the universe because yeah. the universe is part of the creation and so are you. Mm, and yeah, you're part of the it. creation. And there's a universe within you, within your body. You are a universe within yourself. And so when you connect to your creator and become one, that's where you feel the joy and the peace and the power. Yeah. When you feel separate, you feel divided. divided. Think about the soil and the tree. The tree must be connected to the soil. Think about the fish and water to swim and thrive. When we're connected to our creator, we're a whole lot happier. We feel more peace. We feel more joy. Yeah, and, it, yeah. and if you look at relational psychology, we heal in a loving relationship. You heal mm -hmm. in a loving relationship. But if, if can you, well, let me say, can you heal with a stranger? It's, it's not a loving relationship. It's like a, it's harder. It's like it's a, a non-question. Yeah. Yeah, you really can't because it has to be a loving relationship. We heal in yeah. love. Yeah, you have to have trust. Yeah, well, guess what? If God to you is a stranger, yeah, and just a higher power. Yeah. And how can you heal with a with a God? True. It has to be a personal, I, it has to be a personal God, a God of love and a God of forgiveness, because we all have a hole in our soul. Right. So when you allow that healing to take place with the creator and the personal God that is a God of love, that's when you heal. But so many people have have been um have been wounded by people in the name of religion, I by people it. who have done bad things in religion, by churches who haven't lived up to that. That I don't I understand why they feel what they feel. So yeah. when I speak truth, I don't want to turn those people off who yeah. feel that way because I know they're hurting. I know they have a hole in their soul. I know they have wounds and they're actually seeking the answer. Yeah. And so many times they're looking in the wrong place. True. And I want to give them the truth that's going to help them heal. And in the one truth, I do that in book three. It's book one, book two, book three, and one book. And, oh, and cool. in book one, book two, I explain it all, which makes so much sense. You can't refute it. So by the time you get to book three. I share the truth. And once you share it, I've had so many people say, wow, I can't deny it. I can't refute it. It's right there in front of me. But mm. we must lead with love in the process. If I'm leaving with mm. hate, then I'm never going to move you to love. Yeah. And don't let hate make you hateful. So too many people who are fighting the good fight have allowed the hate to make them hateful. And so I always remember, stand on love, stand for truth. But if then if you want to attack me, okay, then I may come back because I'm a fighter but I'm going to do my best to fight with love to, to win in the long run. Yeah. yeah. I regret to have to behead you now. I'll behead your argument. I'll behead your argument. Yeah, exactly. You know? yeah. I, I just want to say, I, I love this conversation and there's so many different places to take it, especially in this, in this day and age. 
This is why we did the show though. I've seen so much stuff happen that, that would just infuriate me. I'll be honest. I'd be mad at the TV. I'm COVID really exposed a, a, a darkness that was underneath the surface this whole time. And we just didn't notice it. And it really brought it to light. And I think I have a lot of reasons why I think that actually was fast forwarded so quickly, but the truth is, is there, it was there. And so that's why people like us started standing up. It, we may not impact a lot of people. Maybe it's one drop of water at a time in a sea of ocean, but it was worth the effort for sure. And because at the end of the day, like these young children that are going through the systems and institutions of America where God once used to exist is now been replaced by government. God has been replaced by government. It's undeniable. Like, let's just, let's just call it a spade, a spade. And so this is where the instinct for me to stand up and use whatever influence and voice I have to connect to some young mindset that is I just being just massively indoctrinated right now. This is where the instinct comes from. But I like your position on love and unity and and really the whole idea of separateness um, and break, bringing people together. But I just wanted to really say that, like, I really respect what you do and I have a lot of admiration and really uh, just the courage that it takes to say, even what you've said today, it's um, it's something that wants me to get behind you and align with you. And I do think that there's a lot of people out there that they don't really speak their truth in private. Well, they I, have an opinion and in also, public, they don't display it. I appreciate your wisdom too, John, your, your, your question, like Eric, I love, he seems to discern through his faith to take a stand for the innocence of children. Yep. Like you, you hear that a lot with him and that's his own private discernment process. Like, so when you said like, you'll bring it to prayer and discernment because you're right, you can't stand for every battle out there. And it's, yeah, I pre, I think that's the answer. That would be my I, answer. Too. Well, you know, I want to give you one example just to, to help you guys understand and the listener to say, okay, how does that process go yeah. during COVID? I quickly recognized that something wasn't quite right of the way the information was, be was being disseminated, how uh, arguments and dissension was not allowed, how people were being censored. I'm like something's not quite right here. <laughs> and as someone who got the flu shot and almost died from the flu shot many years ago when I was early 30s, actually as I was beginning writing and speaking, literally laying on my bed, my wife will attest, like I had myocarditis. Yeah, and wow. it, it a virus went to my heart and almost died. And then ever since I had autoimmune issues, finally healed it about a few years before COVID. So when the vaccine was being talked about, I'm like, there's no way right. yeah. that I'm Perfect taking sense. that vaccine. No way. I said, I'm not getting any more shots in my life like that because of what happened. Same here. And I knew the consequences. So I said, I'm not getting a shot. So I believed in medical freedom. Now, did I, did I, you know, go after the vaccine and try to no. say, don't take this. No, I believe the medical freedom that each person should decide if they want to get the shot or not. It should be right. your personal choice. And I quickly knew the research because it was coming out of Israel and other countries that were ahead of us that yeah. it wasn't preventing transmission. And yet right. we were being told it did. And I knew it didn't. But right away, I'm going, okay, there's, there's mistruths, mistruths. There's a lot of misinformation. They're calling this misinformation, but they're actually spreading misinformation. And I noticed that. So, I felt like I had to take a stand. I Good. just had to. It was yeah. my calling because of my past, what I had been through with the shot, yeah. the flu shot, going through that. I just felt like I needed to take a stand. And so I yeah. did. And I did on did social it. media. And I created a video that I put on YouTube. And you could still watch it. By the way, my YouTube video proved correct. Everything I said, I said, it's not going to awesome. prevent tr transmission. There's going to be mutations. Eventually, you're going to have to get new shots to deal with the mutations. You're going to be chasing the virus. Never the ending. 
will be so far ahead of the of the actual technology, you won't catch up. Everything I said came true. If I know that, and I'm not even a virologist, yeah, virologist, how do, how do they not know that? So that was strange to me. So I took a stand. People awesome. attacked me on Twitter. People said, your career is done, John. You're not going to write and speak. People are not going to support you. I can't tell you the outpouring support I did get. Yes. And then that. I would actually go to these events and the VP or the CEO would come up to me privately and say, hey, thanks for taking a stand. I follow you on Twitter. They yes. would give me a nod yeah. or a wink. Yes. It was hilarious to this day. But they would never say anything. Yeah. But I did. Many coaches who I know. And some people didn't like it. Some people will probably never hire me for, for taking that stand. Oh, well. I knew I was standing for truth. I knew I was yeah. right. And now like we're, it's pretty hard to deny that I wasn't yeah. correct. I wasn't right. That a lot of people who took this stand weren't, yeah, yeah. but being in my field, no other speaker would take this stand and, you know, yeah. who relies on, you know, that for their career. I, right. I don't think, I don't think many did, but I knew it was my fight. And my wife and I talked about it. I said, I really feel like I need to take this stand. She said, That's no, so I, support, awesome. I support you. You have to do it. So I was willing yeah. to lose everything, mm -hmm. to lose it all, to take a stand and as a result of that, I had the best years of my life as a writer and speaker. Yes. 2020, 2021, 2022, yes. and 2023. Yeah. Bigger, bolder than ever. I now, I think, have people that follow me because they know I'll speak the truth, stand for the truth, and I'll have the courage to do so. And I had several friends, big time friends who say, man, I appreciate your courage and your boldness so much. It's what I love about you. Before yeah. then, they didn't know I was bold. They didn't know I had that courage inside of me, but I stood up. Everywhere I've been going, people say, I started following you during the pandemic. A lot of people actually discovered me for the first time, even though I've been doing this since 2007, yes. sold millions of books. People literally discovered me for the first time during the pandemic. So what was bad actually turned into good and mm. I was willing to fight for it and lose everything. So that's yeah. how I approach, approach that thought process, being willing to lose it, knowing I need to take the stand and go for it. Now, yeah. again, abortion, we talked about earlier, I don't believe that's my fight. It's just it. not, I don't feel it, but I know other yeah. people are meant to fight that fight, but it's not. But when I'm called to fight for something or stand for something, I'm going to stand, stand on that. But 90% of the time, I just want to love people, yeah. encourage yeah. people, support yeah. them and not argue with them. I don't want to argue with you. I don't want to yeah. debate with you at all. Right. My friends from college all blew me away in terms of like blew me off, blew me away, got mad at me for my stance. They thought I was so wrong. Most of them now know I was right, and yet very few have really said to me or called Admitted me and it. said, you know, I was wrong about that. You were right. Same one with or, the media. One, one or two has. But again, I knew that with my friends even. I'm, even though they feel that way, I'm just going to keep on loving you. And I haven't lost one friend, you know, by taking that stand either. And I Wonderful. think a lot of people lost friends because yeah. they got angry and heated with each other. And for me, I'm speaking the truth in love. Yep. I'm speaking the truth in love with courage and boldness, but love. So guess what? You want to come in with me hate. It's okay. I'm still going to come with love. You may hate what I say, but I know I'm speaking the truth. Yeah. I think mm -hmm. you're up against a massive battle between pop culture and Hollywood and higher learning and education and the media, the battles that you have to fight by just speaking truth for, for just the, the, for the sake of truth you have such a, a a force against you. And this is why I respect you even more. I think this is where your real following is going to really get behind you and move. And that's where you're going to inspire other people to stand up. Because I do believe 
that for evil to triumph, we've all heard this. It's, you know, it's, it only triumphs when good men do nothing. And so many people see something and they don't want to, to, to get into to waters. And I like your approach though. Choose the hill you're going to die on. So for me, it's protecting innocence. Like I see innocence and I want to jump in front of a bus and I want to, I want to kill the thing that's trying to hurt innocence. Like I have this profound, like feeling that pours out of me and, and just, um, whatever hill it is for you, if you're out there listening, just consider this. Do not turn your cheek though. Stand up for whatever the thing is, stand up for it. If you know it's right, then stand up for it. Because I think that this, all these institutions have so much power that if these young children don't have other outlets for information, this is not going to end well. Yeah. I didn't, I couldn't have written the one truth if I didn't take that stand then, because I wouldn't live with the power and the courage to be able to do it. I wouldn't be someone who God could use to actually just- That goes back to my- my peace question. Like, I, I love your analogy. You know, it's human. We have fluctuations in our feelings, but also with time and a faith walk, you obviously had some sense of peace. You're like, you know what? No matter how this unfolds, I'll be all right. Right. Like that's, that's out of your faith. So my faith, obviously, yes. My, my faith allowed me to stand the ground knowing that, okay, I may not get a TV show. I may not get yeah. be brought in by these companies. I could lose readers, which I lost some readers, but I also gained so many more. I gained a ton of readers and signed a huge book deal with my publisher, you know, in the middle of COVID, despite all of this to write these three books. And the one truth is one of those books that came out of that. So it's fun to look look back and know what was going on at the time. And all right, I'm going to admit there were fears. Yeah. There was insecurities. There were doubts. Like I'm the only one standing up here. Like no one else is doing it. Yeah. It takes you know, you courage. Feel alone, you feel isolated. Well, you're on the right side of history, John. And that's what I really appreciate. You know, Joe Rogan said something that kind of went viral and I don't know if he coined this phrase, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Just simple thought that good time or that hard men create good times, good times, create weak men, weak men, create hard times. And I think that honestly, we are in that side part of the cycle right now. Just curious your thoughts on that subject matter. I think, no, I, I couldn't agree more. Like we're facing the hard times because we don't want to do hard things and we don't want to be bold and courageous and do the right thing. Victims. And going back to courage, like when I took that stand and came out of it as a result of that, and I saw how truth does shine through, that gave me even more boldness and courage to go, you know what? Yeah. I'm I'm going to now live the rest of my life like like this. It just it just emboldened me. Yeah. It took me to a, a much more powerful level. I don't think I would be friends with Ed Milet if I didn't take the kind of stand back then. Not because he agreed with me. I don't know if he did or didn't. But I know I just became someone who now stood at, at that stance going, you know what? I'm here to take on this world. You talk about kids. You know what my hill is now? My hill now, especially the one truth, is mental health in the way of there are mm-hmm. more kids that are struggling than ever. There are more people struggling than ever. We're prescribing more medications than ever. We're actually have more doctors and psychologists talking about this than ever. We're helping people and talking about mental health more than ever. John, why is that? Why is that? Like More people are struggling than ever because we're looking in the wrong direction because we're looking at, at the lie and believing the lie and we're being deceived of the truth. But it's not people. There are good people trying to solve it there's just a level of evil that's deceiving people and getting them to look in the wrong direction. So we're, we're thinking that medication is the cure. So little kids that aren't behaving properly, willing to sit in a classroom because maybe they have just great energy, we're just prescribing drugs. And then yeah. we're not even talking about how that affects the energetic structure of your brain and the antenna of your brain. Your mm-hmm. brain is an antenna. It tunes into 
either a positive frequency or a negative frequency. You have 86 billion neurons in your brain. Each neuron has a transmitter and receiver. And so if you understand that the brain really is an antenna, not like an antenna, it actually is. Mm -hmm. Ed talks about the reticular activating system. Literally, it's an energetic structure. The more that brain is actually damaged and has the antenna damage, you start to tune into a lower frequency and more negative thoughts. If the brain is a healthy brain and the positive antenna, you will tune into more positive thoughts. Yeah. So if we're, if we're affecting kids' antennas, it's why when you eat wild salmon, healthy salmon, it actually lessens depression and reduces depression. Why? Healthy antenna, good fats, better yeah, connection and connectivity. Brain is now a higher frequency and it tunes into more positive thoughts. See, thoughts mm -hmm. exist in, in, in the soul, the mind, consciousness. So thoughts do not exist in the brain. The brain is the yeah. hardware. It's where activation happens. Yeah. And I think the problem is, why is that? Neuroscientists are literally looking for thoughts in the brain. They don't exist in the brain. The, they're not there. No, yeah. it's the thought, literally the mind-soul like activates the brain. thought by mm. creating a neurosynapsis where it brings the thought to life yeah. that allows us to experience yeah. Yeah. this reality. So God showed me the truth of how we're made up of the energetic reality of the soul, the spirit, our temporary body, and we have this brain, this energetic structure that's an antenna. And yeah. I say in this book, like literally, like, and it, again, it's a simple read. It's not, it's deep, but not too deep. Like yeah. someone said, I feel like you're giving me the secrets of the universe. Hmm. It literally yeah. a five hour read. Yeah. And that was the goal of it, like to get people thinking a different way and understanding. So go back to kids. If we're messing with their antennas, which we are, and the chemicals and the foods that they're eating. And Chris Palmer, psychiatrist from Harvard, wrote Brain Energy. He said the issue is the metabolic health process and the metabolic pathway by eating all these carbs, all this crap. What's happening is that's actually affecting the mitochondria in our brains. What are mitochondria? The energetic factories in our brain. Yeah. Little antennas, right? Energetic factories, the motherboard, you affect the motherboard, you start to tune into more of a negative frequency. So you'll tune into more negative thoughts, positive thoughts, positive frequency, higher frequency. And so it makes sense if you would actually think about that as we're affecting kids' diets and the foods they're eating and the chemicals. If we affect their antenna, they're going to have more and more negative thoughts. It's why after drinking or someone who does cannabis on a weekend, Several days later, they start to have negative thoughts and feel more depressed. Have you noticed that? We're talking yeah, to people yeah. who go through that. I talk to teenagers to help them through this. And I explain this to them and it makes so much sense to them when they understand. Yeah. They haven't made the connection between the brain and thoughts. And that's what I do in the one truth. Once you understand how it works, yeah. then you realize, oh, brain health affects mental health. Yeah. Yeah. I love yeah. every part of this yeah. conversation. We can go so far. I keep thinking of cause and effect. Like where, where, where is the darkness coming from? He's speaking so much truth and he's right on so many topics. I mean, this whole idea of health in and of itself, I, we, I love talking with about, but the truth is like, you have to find the source, like the source to me, like it just, my opinion, the source is coming from our government that wants to control every aspect of life. It's gotten bigger and more bloated and the bureaucracies are getting bigger and bigger and bigger and control is so important. And if you just look back in history, freedom is a very new idea. It hasn't existed for that long. And so it seems like it's being destroyed at a really rapid pace right now. So guys like John come around and these are the beacons of light in my perspective in society. You guys are the ones that are doing God's work here on earth. And, and so are you. You're up against a very dark force and it's powerful. And so the, the truth really is, is like, how does this end? 
Eric, who is the government made up of? Humans. Humans, people. People with a soul. People who have a battle going on within their soul. Very true. And there's an evil that will always try to oppress. And then God is always about bringing freedom. You said freedom is is a new thing in government, yes, but not in God's economy. Not spiritually. For sure. And spiritually, freedom is what we're wired for and who we're made for. Yes. So we were made to be free and made for freedom. But go back to the garden. The garden is a story of Adam and Eve given freedom to eat from all the trees in the garden except one. So God said, you can't eat from one, but you can eat from all of them. And then what did the serpent do? Lied to them. Told them that they would become more if they ate from it. And they believed the lie. They ate of the tree. And as a result, they were separated from God by believing the lie. So what we have is every day people are believing the lie and being separated from God and then feeling the results of that separation. Wounds in their soul, anxiety, fear, doubt, pain, trauma, you name it. Feeling all of that. And sometimes people have that imposed on them by someone who is evil that's done bad things to them and they've been abused and so forth and creates wounds. Or parents that parents that didn't raise us the right way and created wounds. It happens, right? It's part of our journey, but it all results in a separation. So the Old Testament story is a story of separation. This was thousands of years before Jesus even walked the earth. It's an ancient Jewish story. It's not a Christian story. So I tell people all the time, I'm not here to preach religion. I'm here to share the truth. Yeah, totally agree. I love that. And you will find the truth, right? Wherever it is. Yeah. And the minute you look for the truth, you'll find it elsewhere besides religion. You'll find it everywhere if it's the truth. So guess what? The truth is actually in that ancient Jewish story. It's Mm. in the story of the two wolves, the positive and negative. Which one will you feed? Actually, which one will win? The one you feed the most, right? It's in the story of the garden. And then Jesus comes along and the New Testament is actually a story of reconciliation, of Mm. getting back to oneness. It's a story of taking every thought captive, the renewing of their minds, Right? We have to renew our minds because right now they're not renewed. They're cluttered and they're encumbered by dysfunction and the past and all the wounds and everything we've been through. Tons of debris and clutter up there. They need to be renewed and healed. So when I say freedom and oppression, evil has to then get you to move away from freedom and it will use fear to do that. If yeah. you can make people fearful, you will get them to do a lot of things. So they will give up their freedom. Yes. For safety. So evil will do that to give people a sense of fear. So they will choose the safety route instead of the freedom route. So that's one thing. Then what, what evil does is it lies and it makes you believe the lies. So now you're being deceived and you're believing the lies. And then what I, what I hate about evil, like just so much, cause I, I see so many people fall for it, right? It really, it really frustrates me is it looks like it's the better option but it's actually a cheap imitation and a substitute because the real thing is what we truly want. And so that's why evil has to get you away from God to not believe in God. Because if it gets you away from God and you make government God, now it has separated you and divided you and then it can conquer you. If you're one with God and connected to God, you cannot be conquered. You're too powerful. You have the power of God with you and you cannot be defeated when you are one with God. So it has to divide and separate you and get you away from God. See, that's what we're seeing right now. So that you can make the government your God, believe in the government, rely on that. And the minute you do, 
you will now be conquered because yes. you're no longer putting your faith in God. So to me, what we're really experiencing is a choice. And by the way, God allows evil to exist. I think about this often. Yeah. God has allowed evil things to happen to me in my life. God has allowed evil things to happen to my kids in their lives. He allows it, but he's, 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 he's a father that I trust. His ways yeah. are not my ways. He allows evil to exist. Why? Because we always have to face some sort of resistance, adversity, or a worthy opponent is what my friend calls it, right? My friend calls it a worthy opponent. We will face the worthy opponent on our journey to test us. Mm. And then ultimately that will refine us. And then the mm. choices we make will then define us. For sure. Or are we going to choose the easier route, the fear-based route, the lie, or are we going to choose truth? Are we going to choose God? Will we choose oneness? So he allows the evil to exist to give every one of us a choice. So how does it end up? What choices do we all make when we hear the truth? And if we make the choice and we choose the truth and we choose what's right and noble and we choose God, then we survive, we thrive, we conquer. Yes. If we choose the other choice, because we're given the choice, it then leads to death. Romans 8, 5, 6 says, a mm. mind governed by the flesh leads to death. A mind governed by the spirit leads to life and peace. It comes down to that. What yeah. will so I good. choose? The flesh, so the world's way, or yeah. God's way? God's way is life and peace. So the flesh will lead to death. Yeah. So, so good. Me, good. me and Matt were having a conversation recently, and, and I'd love to get your take on it, but we were really thinking about what, what is really important right now. What is one of the most important things right now? And, and it seems glaringly obvious to us, and I want to get your take on it because you've just said so much gold here. So I just want to get, get your take, but the, the the power of fatherhood right now is probably more important in society than anything ever. And I just can't help but feel that your message with this book, The Truth, should really help fathers find their voice and their courage to really stand up for their families, for their children, um, and to really, you know, to kind of center it into that category um, of importance. I'm hoping you can maybe elaborate on that because we think it's probably the most important thing is we face this battle ahead. Yeah. I think men are, are being attacked in so many ways and fatherhood is as well. And as someone who was not always a great father and was mm. not always a great husband who had to turn it around. And thankfully I was able to. And we didn't I, have fathers, me and you, both of us, by the way. Yeah, I, I guess I had a, a bad model of an original father. My stepfather yeah. loved yep. me and made me feel like I belonged to him. Yeah. Without him, I wouldn't be who I am today. But I had the abandonment issues, but those abandonment issues led me to the heavenly father that I then put my trust in and my relationship in. But I do see how, again, life will always try to weaken you and attack you. And again, we're always facing that force of, of separation division. So the key for, for fatherhood or for anyone is to become more whole. Yeah, we all have a hole in our soul, H-O-L-E. The key is to become whole, W-H-O-L-E. And God wants to make us whole. And in our wholeness, that's when we find our oneness and that's when we find yeah. our power. Yeah. In our HOLA, we have separation, division, wounds. So the best thing we can do as a father is, is uh, to be a father is to heal our own whole so that we come from a place of health, wholeness, so that we can help our kids be whole and yeah. help them become who they're meant to be. My father's prayer, and I've been saying this for a year, I don't want my kids to become what I want them to be. I want them to become everything God created them to be. Yeah, beautiful. Not what I want for them. It's who they're meant to be. And so yeah. my job is to guide them and foster them and support them and love them and pray for them. 
and just be there for them when they have challenges and issues. So for fatherhood, we have really got to help build stronger men, men who deal with their own hurts, their own pain, their own issues of the past, so they can heal them to become whole. W-H-O-L-E, this is in the book, Walk With God, H, heal. In your healing, you become one with him. Out of that oneness, you now have a new and and more powerful loving nature because his essence becomes your essence. And out of that love, you E, elevate your mind and your soul and you operate a whole new level. He gave me and my wife that on a drive as we're driving. And by the way, I want men to read- Your antenna picked that one up. (laughs) Boom, yeah. Read Relationship (laughs) Grit though. That's a book my wife and I wrote, Relationship Grit. One truth will be essential for you as a leader to become more whole. I've had so many men already read this book and say, wow, like this is what I need to be more mentally tough mentally healthy, mentally stronger. I'm allowing this to make me separate. I even had a coach say, I watched my quarterback and his negative body language really affects me during a game. Yeah. After after reading your manuscript, I realized I've got to actually be more positive. I've got to stay in a higher state of mind so yeah. I don't allow the low state of mind to affect me. It's as yeah. simple as that because you have a low state of mind kid. And by the way, if you're raising kids, they will be in a low state of mind. They're supposed to. <laughs> You've got to be in a high state. If you're in a low state, they're in a low state. You're going to be crying together. Right. If you're in a high state, they're crying. You're probably laughing. And then you're encouraging them and moving it, them along the way. Them. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you got to stay at that higher state. And the book shares that. But but whole is essential. Tune is essential. Trust in truth. Unite with God. Neutralize the negativity. Elevate your thinking. So I'm giving practical tools in there to help men do that as they as they journey through life and in their relationship. But, but relationship grit is key because it's my journey of, of failing. It's my journey of not being a good husband. Right. Wife and I share our own struggles and journey along the way. Hashi almost left me several times. And yeah. um yeah. and early in our marriage, I I wasn't faithful. Not a not like um not 100% unfaithful. Like people think, oh, John, you must've been sleeping around. No, it wasn't even as bad as Bill Clinton's sex. So it wasn't even that. It was yeah. whatever he defines as sex, but it was yeah. flirting. It was, it was kissing. It yeah, was yeah. This. And it was having the opportunity to, to do something. And I walked out at the last moment. Thank God. Yes. I told my wife this when I was 40. Happened when I was 30 before I became a person of faith. Right. Happened when I was young. Wow. You know, I tell her when I'm 40 and we talk about this in the book and we talk about what happened and how she almost left again because she felt so betrayed and what we did to repair. But what we did to repair, again, using the bad and the pain and the separation to now come back to oneness and wholeness. Now we have the most beautiful, amazing marriage and we've been married now 26 years, 52. So that was 12 years ago, I told her. The last 12 years have been the best years of our marriage as a result of doing that. So we share our story to help men and women be stronger together in their relationships. Yeah. Too many people are giving up. And men, let's face it, when it's when it's tough at home and the kids are young, you're not getting your yeah. needs met a lot. And that, that's what makes you start to look outside the marriage. You look outside for validation and recognition because if you have a hole in your soul, you're trying to fill the wound yeah. with outside recognition and praise yeah. and, and outside support and love. Meanwhile, you really want it from God and from your wife. Yeah. And so we've got to understand that. That's beautiful. The greatest leaders I've ever met, like I, I find that their profound honesty that they bring to the table and share with the world and make part of their testimony as they step into the light, they're the ones that have the greatest respect. They have the greatest ability to impact others, and they really pull you in. And it's like, what a lesson for you if you're running a racket. Getting back to this point, like love, sort of the going, running back to this. 
your ability to own it and, and really not look over your shoulders anymore. I think God can see all the holes in you. I was going to say universe, but now the universe can see all the holes in you. I think God sees all the holes in you. It's impossible to lead if you have all these holes in you. Your honesty is what fills those holes and your ability to just love and put out honest truth. If you guys want to learn how to become a leader, please go follow John Gordon because he yeah, is a living, breathing testimony to how leadership really looks and feels. And this is... It's, it's, I, I just want to wrap with, uh, it's really a delight to talk to you at your season of life, Yeah, you know, because you're, you're young enough where you have a lot of runway ahead of you for sure, but you've got a bit of the gray hairs of wisdom and, um, yeah. it's a blessing. It so is. I a appreciate blessing. your time, John. Matt, I appreciate man. it. Eric, I, I do appreciate it. You know, it's, I have to share the truth and people are like, wow, you want to tell people what you did in the past. Guess what? When you share the truth, yeah. you have nowhere to hide and you have you're no free. reason to hide. Yes. You're free. Like, I don't have to hide. This freedom. is who I am. And guess yeah. what? This is what I've done. This is I'm, I'll, I'm an awesome. open book. You ask me anything, I'm an open book because you know what? When there's nothing to hide, you can stand in that truth. R. A. Dickey, a major league baseball pitcher, talked mm -hmm. about how later in his career, he became a massive success. Early in his career, wasn't great. He talked about how he shared how he was sexually abused as a child. Mm -hmm. And he finally wow. came clean with that and started sharing that. And he said, when I stopped hiding yeah. as a human being, I stopped hiding there as is. a pitcher. Yeah. And so his courage came out in his that. career and his work when he stopped hiding as a human being. And that's what made him so successful. So I always tell people, stop hiding, start healing. We, uh, right. just to wrap a quick thought, Eric and I are coaching a bunch of local entrepreneurs and uh, movers and shakers. And that's our central invitation. Like, look, you really want to elevate your business. You got to go into the, and, and, and reveal and bring into the light what you're hiding, what you haven't forgiven within yourself, what you right. haven't taken to God. I love that story. What John. you're ashamed of. You know, what's cool, about you. This, you know what's cool about this conversation though? We didn't talk about like, I literally work with leaders around the world on being better leaders. So I share principles and practices for great leadership. We have trainings yeah. where we do positive leadership yeah. training. I work with Snapchat, In-N-Out yeah. Burger, Dell, all these different companies, right? On, on how to be a better leader. We didn't talk about any of that, but what do we talk about? Almost like the essence of a leader and who you yeah. are behind the person you are. But I truly believe in, in summary, as we come to an end, who you are determines how you lead. Yeah. And so you first have to get to the essence. And then mm -hmm. from that essence, the principles and practices, which I teach that have helped all these leaders, that makes you a better leader. So it's almost like we got to get to the essence first, then the principles and practices you implement. And that's what leads to real leadership. And then the teamwork that you then bring forward and connect with your, how you connect with your team determines the success as a team. And then your mindset over time determines ultimately how you show up through adversity and challenges yeah. and the culture then drives everything. So we didn't talk that's about fantastic. any of that, but it's pretty cool that I want people to know that listening to this, that's what I mostly do. That's 99% yeah. of my work, <laughs> but, but, but I'm glad we had this conversation because I know someone was meant to hear it. Yeah. yeah thank good. you, John. John, thank you so much, man. You're an amazing guy. And I'm so lucky to know you. I hope we do this again soon, man. All right, yeah, thanks, man. guys. I appreciate yeah. you so much. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a man on a mission. I'm a man on a mission.